Welcome to American Lit. I'm Steve Hamstra. Come on in and we'll explore the letters and literature of our American forebears. This is episode 49 of American Lit, and uh, you're probably familiar with some of the iconic westward trails of American history. Uh, The Oregon Trail, of course, being the most famous. Uh, There's also the California Trail. And uh, there are also several other trails, and among them is the Mormon Trail. And uh, unlike most other pioneers headed west, uh, the Mormons went west because they were driven out of the east. Like other pioneers, however, their trail was long and difficult. And uh, today we're reading an account of the Mormon Trail and uh, the trials of the uh, travelers of that trail. It's the memoirs of John R. Young. Hmm, does that last name ring a bell? Ah, indeed, John Young was the nephew of Brigham Young, who led the Mormons west to the Salt Lake Valley. Now, I'm not a Mormon myself, uh, but I do find this account fascinating. So here we go. Chapter 7 On April 10, 1847, that historical band of 143 men, three women, and two children, known as the Mormon Pioneers, started for the West, led by Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. The story of that journey has been so often told, and our Western people are so accustomed to traveling with team and camping out, that I fear my weak descriptions would not be interesting. But the conditions of colonizing Utah were so different from those of any other state of the Union that the history will bear repetition. The Latter-day Saints' founding of a commonwealth was actuated by almost purely religious motives and influences. They came west because they had to, or else give up their faith. As early as 1838, General Clark said to us, You must no more organize with presidents and bishops. You must scatter out among the people, and if you ever get together again, I will be upon you, and I will not show the mercy that I have shown this time. That, in effect, was the decree of the Nauvoo mob. It was not couched in the definite words that Darius' decree was, but it meant Daniel. If you pray to the God of the Hebrews, we will cast you into the lion's den. That same spirit that over 2,000 years ago decreed what the Hebrew children should worship was today dictating to the sons of America what they should and what they should not do in manners of faith. It was the loyalty of the Mormon people to God and their country that led them to travel westward over trackless and timberless plains. Rather than submit to this belated tyranny of intolerance, on and on they came westward for more than a hundred days until they struck the valley of the dead inland sea, the spot where Brigham had in vision seen the tent come down from heaven and heard a voice saying, Here shall Israel find rest. But to return to the starting point, anticipating that they would come into frequent contact with the Indians, President Young sought earnestly to imbue the men with a feeling of friendship toward the red man. 
He pointed out that from the first coming of the white man to America, the Indian had been pushed off his lands, his game had been wasted, and feelings of hatred had been fostered until the dictum had been reached that no Indian is a good Indian until he is dead. We shoot them down as we would a dog. Now this is all wrong and not in harmony with the spirit of Christianity. In only one instance, that of William Penn, has Christian treatment been accorded them. But even aside from the aspect of Christian duty, I am satisfied it will be cheaper to feed them than to fight them. Such was ever Brigham's policy thereafter. In later years, the annual passing of thousands of our people in peace through the lands of the Sioux, the Shoshones, and the Utes gave to the world the belief that the Mormons were in collusion with and had secret treaties with the Indians. Such, however, was not the case. Our friendship with them was the natural outgrowth of following the wise counsel given to us in those early days. Light cleaveth to light, and love begets love as readily in the heart of a heathen as in the bosom of a Christian. As an illustration of this fact, I may relate a little incident in my own life. My father and my younger brother, a lad of five years, went with the advance company of pioneers. My brother Franklin W. and I followed in Jedediah M. Grant's company. On Ham's Fork, near Fort Bridger, a cow gave out, and I was left behind the train to try to bring her into camp. At sunset, while about three miles behind the camp, letting the cow rest, I saw an Indian just across the creek move from behind a tree. Needless to say, I made quick tracks toward camp. In the morning, we found that the Indians had killed the cow. It proved to be a band of Sioux on the warpath after Shoshone's. Had they been angry at us, they could have killed me as well as the cow. Brigham's counsel was bearing fruit. Neither my scalp nor our cattle beyond that one cow were interfered with, while Fort Bridger was heavily raided. To me, the migration of our people over the next 20 years was a wonderful history. Our companies often scattered far apart in order to get feed for the cattle. Our men, weak in numbers and but poorly armed, our women and children often compelled to walk and therefore sometimes quite unconsciously going too far ahead to be safe or, in spite of the vigilance of the guards, becoming weary and lagging behind. Yet not a single life was lost by the hand of the Indians. Again, the cheerfulness with which the people passed under the rod during these unparalleled journeys was no less marvelous than the protecting providence that was over them Picture in your mind, starting out on a certain morning, in company with 500 men, women, and children. We walk 8 or 10 miles, then halt for dinner. 500 head of cattle have to be unyoked, watered, then driven to pasture and guarded, while fires are built and dinner is being prepared. Then the cattle are re-yoked, the wagons packed, and the line of travel is taken up again. Thousands of our people, many of them mothers with babes in their arms, walked every foot of that 1037-mile stretch from winter quarters to Salt Lake. Day after day, the toilsome journey is renewed. At night, a quilt or blanket is spread upon Mother Earth for a resting place. 
days pass into weeks and weeks into months before the longing eyes find rest and the weary feet pass down the dusty road of Immigration Canyon. Picture then their feelings when, on reaching a certain eminence, the Salt Lake Valley, with the Dead Sea glimmering beyond, burst like a vision of glory upon their view. Young and old break down and weep for joy. Oh, marvel not, dear reader, if on this day and place unbidden tears bedew each careworn, sunburnt face, if long-enshrined hope and overburdened heart cause weary, toiling pilgrims here to act the childish part, if the glory of this vision of a truly sought-out land, like a cloud of joy descending, enshroud the little band, reveal to them the blessings their future life shall gain, and blurs the recollection of their former toils and pain. Recall the days of sorrow, of Diamon and Far West, when the cup of bitter anguish to their trembling lips was pressed, when hordes of heartless mobbers led by Lucas and by Clark despoiled them of their homes, the fruits of honest work, confined in chains and dungeons, their youthful prophet guide, and scattered wives and children on Missouri's prairie wide. Then, like a bird of plunder, followed on their footsore trail, till Joseph and Hiram were martyred in Carthage blood-stained jail. And still the lash and firebrand to our backs and home applied, compelled us to surrender and to cross the Mississippi's tide, to take our tents and travel, like Israel of old, to the valleys of the mountains, a standard to unfold. An ensign to the nations, a banner ever blessed, where the children of the covenant can find God-given rest, where the stone cut from the mountain, not by mortal hand, shall become a mighty people and fill the promised land. Such was the glorious vista that opened to their souls and filled with joy and gladness their hearts beyond control, filled hearts with joy and gratitude and bent each willing knee to him, their loving father, the Lord who set them free. Mm, I love the emotion of this account. And uh, how about their treatment of the uh, local Native Americans as well? I must say, his outlook on the Native Americans is pretty unique among many of the Old West accounts that I've read. Uh, often they tend to range between uh, amusement at their ways uh, to downright disdain and even hatred. And um, how about his description of the people as well? Uh, that really struck me. The women with children in their arms walking the entire way. And uh, today I have friends who've hiked the Appalachian Trail. And uh, quite frankly, I have mad respect for that. That's amazing. Uh, but think of it. Almost everyone walked every mile to Salt Lake. Uh, and that was true of pretty much anybody who took any of the trails west. Uh, by and large, they walked. What a testament to our American forebears. People to be proud of, for sure. Now, if you want to do something that you can be proud of, head on over to American Lit on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, you can subscribe there to make sure you get every episode, and also leave a good review with an American flag emoji included. 
That's it for our show today. Find this episode anytime at AmericanLit.com, where you'll also find lots more good literature and letters. That's AmericanLit.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at at American underscore lit. Goodbye, friend, and God bless you. Bye.